You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for another day in our lives. We pray this morning that you touch our hearts with your word, that we would leave here different people that love you and love our neighbors. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little over 10 years ago, I got invited to a uh, wedding. A kid who was in my youth group had uh, graduated from college and was getting married. It's one of the first weddings from uh, a you know, kid who was in my youth group, so I was pretty excited. Unfortunately, I was not going to be able to make it to the church, to the ceremony, because I was coming back from my brother's uh, place in Colorado on a flight. But I was going to be able to make the reception, so I was excited about that. I'd been very good friends with this uh, high school student who is now uh, starting a new chapter in his life. So anyway, um, if anybody knows anything about me, I'm not a very good detail person. But I knew that the reception was at the country club in Richmond, so that seemed easy enough. I drove by a country club when I lived in Richmond every day, so I knew where it was. So anyway, I fly into the airport. I go and change in the bathroom, get in my suit, which was kind of awkward, you know, trying to get changed in there. Get in my car, drive to the country club, and sure enough, there's all the people, you know, the wedding party or whatnot, and so I get out, and as my wife will attest, there was food there. So right away, I'm at the, you know, the little the people are bringing shrimp rolls, and I'm grabbing some. I have a drink in one hand. And I look around, and I don't recognize anybody at this wedding. <laughs> so I was like, this is weird. I've even started to strike up, like, you know, conversations about the weather and explaining that I couldn't make the ceremony. Then the limo pulls up, and the couple gets up, gets out of the limo, wrong wedding. So I don't recognize them at all. And I'm in the middle of the crowd, and I kind of back out, squirm out, just made an excuse about going to my car and ducked away in shame, got in the car, and drove to the right country club. Now, this was before the days of wedding crashers. I think they used my story to uh, create the movie. But um, anyway, so I make it to the right wedding, and it was a totally different atmosphere. I know a bunch of people. Um, There's joy. I'm excited for the couple. Uh, great occasion. And, you know, when you're at the right place, it's a warm, welcome place. It's a lot better. So now, uh, hopefully none of you have that similar story of going to the wrong wedding, uh, at least on purpose, but uh, or at least by accident. But um, everyone here has experienced not feeling welcome at a wedding or a party that maybe they've been invited to. Maybe it was awkward. You didn't know what to say to people. And you were just relieved when you left. I mean, all of us can probably uh, connect with that. Well, the good news from Scripture this morning is that there's a party that we're all invited to, a banquet table that we're all invited to. And that banquet and that table is being in God's presence, being in relationship with Him. And the good news, as we'll start to unpack from Scripture, is not only is everyone invited, if you accept that invitation, it'll change your life. It'll change the way you see people. It'll change what you do. And uh, it says in this same passage that when you humble yourself and you accept this invitation, that he'll lift you up and he'll exalt you. Well, let me uh, start by uh, expanding this first point that you're all invited. You see, in Luke's gospel, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus proclaims these words. Lost my place. Here we go. Jesus proclaims these words. He says, The Spirit... Of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Later he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So everyone here qualifies. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. The religious people that Jesus gave a lot, the most difficult time to were ones who thought that on their own, they were good enough, that their own deeds would kind of give them the best seat at the table, so to speak. And he used this uh, Sabbath meal he was invited to to tell them a story about the wedding feast. And then he goes on to another story, uh, another parable of the great feast representing heaven about accepting your invitation. At this part of Luke, in Luke's gospel, the first part was designed for uh, showing all of Jesus' ministry, talking about his miracles. The second part, theologians, uh, many theologians say, was, was called the road to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was preparing to die and to rise again on the cross. And when you're preparing to die, you want to tell people important things. And his disciples and followers, he knew that when he left, they needed to know what they're supposed to do. So this story of what his kingdom was like held their attention. And he wanted to make sure he made his point very clear. So the one thing I do want to start off and make clear is that we're all invited. We all qualify for this meal. The second thing is, is that you have to, it's one thing to be invited, but you actually have to show up to the right wedding, to the right, uh, to the right invitation. I've been in youth ministry a long time, and I've had those talks with kids, and they're like, well, you know, God's good when you get older, but you know, right now I want to call the shots. Gene Simmons, uh, the lead singer of KISS, the rock band from the 70s and 80s, don't pretend like you don't know who he is. I know a lot of you do. <laughs> he said this. He said, I believe in me. And yeah, we can say, oh, what a selfish guy. But so often or not, so often, we act and behave the same way. It's all about us, us calling the shots. Yeah, we'll have God in our life as long as we can still do what we want to do and we can sing some hymns on Sunday. But God says no. In order to accept this invitation, it's going to cost you a lot. The entrance fee is steep. You see, it costs you your entire life. It's not one of those things where you just kind of dip your foot in the water. It's the one where you jump with both feet in. And uh, the verse that it says in here uh, in the scripture, Jesus says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You have to humbly accept this invitation. And when you hear the word humble, you're like, okay, so I'm supposed to be humble. That sounds like we're supposed to be just kind of these anemic, nice people that walk around saying, I love Jesus. But it's totally different than that. You see, humble, uh, another thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek. This meek and humble, it sounds weak, but it's actually the opposite. I want you to, I am not a horse racer. I've had bad experiences with horses in my life, but it's a good analogy. I want you to think of a horse and a jockey in a horse race. Everyone here is the horse. God wants to be the jockey. He wants your reins. You guys have great strengths. There's great things about you because you were designed. God made you. But he wants the reins to your life. He wants to be in control. He wants to use the strength that you have to accomplish his ministry, to change your life, and to change other people's lives. So rather than think that I've got to walk around and just being a nice guy that you know, waves at people, it's totally different than that. It's giving your life to the one who designed your life and made you. Another way of looking at it is this. He wants you all to become losers. We used to, you remember how big that was, like the three-dimensional loser everywhere you look? Well, when I say that, not a loser and that you walk around going, I'm a loser, but uh, let me read you two verses that came up earlier in uh, Luke when Jesus was teaching. He writes, 
Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. In Luke 17, later in the gospel, Jesus says, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Give him control. We give him and we, our life. We trust him with our life because we know he made us. He's the jockey. He's given us this great strength, but he wants us to use it the right way. So as I said, the first thing is that uh, we're invited. We have to accept this invitation. The entrance fee is steep. It calls for humility and to give him complete control of our lives. The second point with this wedding is this, is there's behavioral expectations at the wedding, and you're like, ooh, I knew there was a catch. We get invited to this party, now we've got to behave and act a certain way. Well, here's the good news about this. You see, Jesus will give you the power and strength to meet up to these behavior expectations. There's a book that came out uh, that a friend of mine got, uh, got me onto. It's called Primal by uh, Mark Batterson. And uh, in it, he talks about um, heart transplant patients. You see, Jesus says when we give ourselves to him, he'll give us a new heart. Remember uh, in the Old Testament, some of you are very familiar with the Bible, David said when he was having one of his roughest days and he sang a song, Create in me a new heart. Well, God offers us a new heart and a new spirit in us. So anyway, uh, Mark Batterson, not Mike Batterson, writes this about uh, heart transplant patients. And I'm going to put my reading glasses on now because that just shows you I'm getting a little bit old. So... It says, um, the heart has a mind of, it own, of its own. Studies suggest that the heart secretes its own brain-like hormones and has cellular memory. So a heart transplant isn't just physical, it's metaphysical. Heart transplant recipients don't just receive a new organ, they receive cellular memories. They humbly igno- it, They had a conference with a bunch of heart transplant patients And the the folks that were there that received these new hearts, they humbly acknowledged their responsibility to honor the donors. And many of them talked about new desires that accompanied their new hearts. You see, along with a new heart, they received whole new sensory responses, craving and and habits. So we see this in science, and we see this spiritually. When we give our lives to Christ, he gives us a new heart. And this new heart, we have different things that... Break God's heart, begin to break our heart. Things that bring him joy, bring us joy. So now the rules at the party says that we're supposed to uh, not take the best seat. We're supposed to look at others as more important than ourselves. And rather than, okay, I've got to do that now, he gives us the heart to actually do that. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel writes, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Indeed, when we give our lives to Christ, he gives us a new heart. He gives us the power to love other people. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. God gives us the power to carry this out when we give him our heart. We see people in a whole different way. We invite people into God's presence that we would normally not invite. Which brings me to my third point. Now that we know that uh, we've surrendered our lives to, uh, to God, that we understand that the uh, entrance fee is steep, we jump with both feet in, now we have a job to do. Remember, he's given us the power to do this. We are in the uh, business of inviting people and telling them about the invitation. 
many people don't know. In the second part of uh, Mark's, uh, the story uh, in Luke with the parable of the great banquet, talked about how many people never showed up to the banquet, as I mentioned earlier. So what did Jesus say? He said, go in the streets. He said, uh, reading glasses again, let me put these on. He said this, go out quickly in the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Invite other people. When uh, my brothers were in high school, they were involved with a Christian ministry called New Beginnings. They were a lot more advanced during their teenage years than I was as far as my faith went. And one of the things that they, uh, one of the things that they did with their Christian group is they were very good at inviting all kinds of people to the group. And when they graduated, there was two of these guys that were very different. They had a lot of problems. One of the guys had some uh, definitely uh, learning disabilities. Another one, just a kid who had been messed up with drugs, and he tended to lie all the time. And they wanted to still hang out at our house because that's where my brothers had the group. And you got to understand my dad. He, uh, he's a good guy, but he's just kind of reluctant. He likes his privacy. He likes his Sundays. And sure enough, these guys were Davy and Aaron, but Davy would always show up on a Sunday right when the Redskin game was going on. And we're from you know, the Washington, D.C. area, and that was back when the Redskins were really good. Uh, now they're getting better. So anyway, he'd show up and he'd want to play pool. Well, my dad hated pool, but my dad would get up from the couch and play pool with Davy. And Davy was the type of guy that he was like a bull in a china shop. He was knocking things over. He'd hit the stick on the ceiling with the chalk. There was chalk everywhere. He'd knock balls off the table. It was a disaster of a pool game. My dad wasn't very good either, so it tended to last for eternity. Aaron, the other guy, would come, and he'd come to the table and tell us all these crazy stories. My parents would listen to him, and, you know, they just loved on those guys, and they, uh, they treated them just as they knew God had treated them. It spoke volumes to me. What a model that was. In my own ministry and youth, from what my parents taught me, one of the best compliments I ever uh, received was, a few years uh, after I had left this one area where I was doing youth ministry, I got a call on the phone from this kid named Daryl. And he told me, he said, Steve, you did youth ministry different than other people because we'd have these uh, buses of kids going to camp. And you'd have the biggest loser in the school going to the kid who was the most popular kid. There was just the whole gamut. I mean, the bus, if you looked at it, it, was, it had everything in it. And, you know, he's kind of right. And so I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but my parents taught me that you love other people. You don't just pick the popular kid. You know, there was a big thing in youth ministry, the key kid movement, where you want to get the popular kids to school and then they'll draw other people out. Well, from my experience, that never worked because a lot of the popular kids were so concerned about themselves they didn't want to talk to anybody that wasn't popular. So anyway, that spoke volumes. Another friend of mine who was a big mentor, Jeff McSwain, he had done youth ministry for years, and then God started laying on his heart all these special needs kids that he was meeting in his area. So he ended up getting the kids from his youth group, these high school kids, the popular ones, the unpopular ones, to start helping with this ministry. And they ran a youth group for special needs teenagers and adults. They would have dances with them. They would take them on trips, on mission trips. And this ministry is still going strong today. But again, somebody who went out and understood that God called him to invite not just the easy people that look like us, but other folks. Finally, uh, the last example I have of this invitation is on our mission trip to Honduras this summer. You see, we went there and we figured, oh, we're going to help a bunch of little kids. We're going to help these uh, poor people. You know, we're going to bring, uh, you know, the, the light of Jesus to them. And when we came there, it was almost reverse. They were ministering to us. See, the way their ministry was designed is they had these super poor neighborhoods 
where they were raising teenagers to become leaders, Christian leaders in these neighborhoods, and then to go to reach the little children. So we worked alongside these teenagers, and they were full of love, full of joy, and they treated us like kings. A matter of fact, one of the children from the, uh, the, day, or the after-school program we were working with, their parents invited our group uh, to have dinner at their house. And this was a simple house. There was no running water. We ate outside. It was, uh, there's trash all on the walk to the house. But they had flowers on the table. They had a little Bible verse and some sayings for each of us at the table. They treated us like kings. The food tasted amazing. We had, like, banana soda, which I didn't care for, but some of the kids uh, liked. But we, uh, we were treated with the love of Christ from the people we were going to minister to. Spoke volumes. There's a uh, hymn, old hymn, that says, He invites us to his banqueting table, and his banner over us is love. See, everyone here has been invited to the table. But his banner over, over us is love. When we understand how he first loved us, we have the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to love other people. Now, when you look at your own life, it's easy to hear a sermon like that and understand you're supposed to jump with both feet in, you're supposed to uh, see people the way God sees them, and then go invite. But sometimes the application is the most difficult thing to actually carry out. So I have a few steps for, all, for each of us that we can uh, hopefully apply to our life. And step one, um, I know half of you are probably could care less about American football, especially my wife who likes soccer. But um, I learned one thing as a football coach, and I used to speak in FCA, and I was able to use this as an example. And I coached receivers and defensive backs. But the offensive line and the defensive line coaches would always say this uh, one phrase, the low man wins on the line. In other words, the kids that got in the lowest stance – that excelled with the most power from that low stance, usually would knock the other guy backwards. In our own lives as believers, the low man wins as well. You see, humility comes from the word, a Latin word with its root of earth, dirt. You see, when we get low, we get down on our knees and say, God, I need you. I can't do this uh, without you. I can't do life without you. He will lift us up, and he will give us the strength uh, to lift other people up. There's a verse in Luke 9.23 I love. It says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, cross daily and follow me. This daily habit of getting on our knees and saying, God, I need you. I can't do life without you. Step two, ask the Lord to help you, help you to see people the way he sees them. And step three is to do it. Start inviting. Start looking for people that have been left out of the party and tell them about what God has done for them. The, uh, think of the examples I've told you from my parents to my friend Jeff McSwain, to people uh, from this very church that are going into the prisons that are ministering to people all around this island. Join in in the inviting. You see, the great news for all of us is we don't have to have everything together. We don't have to be these perfect people. We just got to trust God with our life, and he's going to give us a new heart, a heart that cares and loves for other people. And he's going to give us the courage and the strength to carry that out in our lives. Now, for us as a community of believers, we have so many great examples in this room. I could uh, talk about many of you who uh, I'm so impressed with about how you live out your faith. It's an encouragement to me. Um, We had a meeting recently. It was not related to the sermon or anything. We were just talking about uh, ministries around the church. And Norm Galloway mentioned to me, you know, the reason I'm an Anglican, Steve, is I love the Eucharist. I love the communion. You know, I thought about it too, and 
I love it too. And here's why. I like the fact that before communion, we reconcile with our neighbor. We make peace. We get things right with our neighbor. That symbol of doing that. And then we're all invited to this table that we kneel down. For those who've been baptized, we receive the communion. For those who haven't, they can be blessed and prayed for. But we're all invited to this table. It's a reminder each week of what God has done for us and then to go out and to love other people. I want to read you a uh, section of the prayer book. This is found on page 374. It's uh, one of the uh, prayers for uh, the communion. And it says this, Father, you love the world so much that in the fullness of time you sent your only Son to be our Savior. Incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he lived as one of us, yet without sin. To the poor he proclaimed the good news of salvation, to prisoners freedom, to the sorrowful joy, to fulfill the purpose he gave himself up to death, and to rising from the grave, destroyed death, and made the whole creation new. And we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose for us. He sent the Holy Spirit, his own first gift for those who believe, to complete his work in the world and to bring to fulfillment the sanctification of all. It says it right there. Our whole service is laced with the stuff that God loves us because he first loves us. He sends us his Holy Spirit so we can love others and be involved with this whole ministry of telling people about the invitation. My challenge for each of us is to apply this. Jump with both feet in. Pray for the Spirit to help you to see people the way God sees them. Then have the courage to interact with people, to invite them, to share your faith with them, to do this. Let us pray. God, all of us have different stories in our life. And many of us have tried to all of us at times have tried to do life without you. I pray for the courage to follow you, to give our lives completely to you. Nathan spoke last week about the narrow door. Lord, it's difficult, but the good news is because of what you have done on the cross and that you conquered the grave, that you'll give us our ho- the, the Holy Spirit so that we can have the power to live this out. Give us courage and help us to do this today and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.